0: I'm delighted to welcome you to the Wise Girl podcast, where we get to know more about the amazing Sarah Wiseman Gallery artists, discover their professional journeys, and delve into the inspiration behind their work. Today I'm at the studio of Natalie Moisey, an artist who's been on my radar for some time, and I'm delighted to be showing her solo exhibition Change Transience Harmony at the Gallery in May 2021. Coming at her art practice through a non-traditional route, her work is an incredible blend of east-west aesthetic. She describes herself as an interdisciplinary artist and also part art activist, as she challenges viewers to see beyond the surface of visual representation. There is so much to cover and unpack in this fascinating artist practice. So welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thank you, Sarah, for having me and welcome to my studio. Thank you. Your studio is in the stunning Oxfordshire countryside on a farm surrounded by other studios and gorgeous green rolling hills but your art journey begins far away from here, as you've lived in Japan for a number of years. Tell us about your creative journey, and how did you come to this moment as an artist? For example, where did you study? What came first?
1: Ah, well, I have a very traditional French education. I'm a math and physics undergrad, and a computer science graduate. And then I moved to Japan right after college. I spent 20 years in Asia, of which 15 in Japan. So it has a huge influence for me, Mm -hmm. uh, both aesthetically and artistically as well. So what job did you do when you went to Japan? Uh, Well, I was working for an insurance company. Really? (laughs) Yes, doing sales. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes, completely different. So like...
0: Totally different journey. <laughs> yeah, totally different.
1: <laughs> no, I, was, uh, yeah, I was working for them for about four years in Japan. Mm-hmm. Then we moved to Hong Kong. Yeah. I was working for them as a computer specialist mm-hmm. for two years. And then I stopped because I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I think the uh, living in Japan was a huge um, breakthrough in life. Mm-hmm. It was very fascinating to be in such a different culture and to try to learn the culture, the people, the language. Um, it opened a lot of possibilities
0: Yeah. for me. So would you say your creative journey began when you got to Japan and you, you sort of encountered this culture? Uh, yes, probably,
1: I would say. Um, I started to learn Japanese as soon as I uh, arrived there. And then I started to learn Japanese calligraphy. Mm-hmm. Which was, to be honest, a very odd choice because not reading and writing and speaking the language, one would have thought that it was a really hard and difficult uh, art to take on.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: But I'm a challenge girl Mm -hmm. and for me, as no other expatriates or foreign people was doing it, it was my challenge. Mm
0: -hmm. And did it help with your language as well? Yes, definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And uh, were, were you the only Western person oh, yes. in the class? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and did, did everyone else speak Japanese and you had to just kind of go with the flow? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't speak a word, but
1: it was okay. Yeah. Um, calligraphy, although there's a, a real um, attachment to language mm-hmm. and words, it's really, as well, when you learn it, um, it's a visual art. Mm-hmm. So you learn the technique of the brush, the movement, uh, how to grind the ink, yeah, and the space, the
0: special awareness of the calligraphy piece. So yeah. yeah. Hmm. Did you find cuz you didn't speak the language that your like observation, your observation skills, you were always like watching what's everyone else doing to to follow what was going on and Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think uh when you see um an Asian calligrapher write most of the time, I mean, it, there's different type of uh, a, a Japanese calligraphy and one type is almost illegible and even Japanese people cannot read it. Yeah. But of course, I become really good at it mm-hmm. and not really good at the more conventional one where mm-hmm. you could you had to write a proper character. Yeah. So that was my forte, I would say. So you became an intuitive calligrapher.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Goodness, that's, absolutely, that's really <laughs> fascinating because there are so many... In, in your work and in your work for this show there are so many kind of marks that, that go back to your calligraphy I think that's the essence of it yes, yes. definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: we'll talk about it a bit later mm. as well yeah. I'm sure
0: but, yeah. yeah so you did the calligraphy and then did you when when did you sort of take that into into painting
1: so I did a bit of sumiye painting which is Japanese painting with uh, mainly when you're a beginner you start with black ink and just you learn the strokes mm-hmm. and the mark making more than anything else. So I did a bit of that, but I thought it was too, um, contrived a bit. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, when you had to, to draw a bird, there was rules okay. to draw a bird. Yeah. It, it, there was no real freedom in it, mm-hmm. unless as everything in Japanese art, you became a master of it, then you could be free okay. of all the rules, but yeah. I was not there. So I, I just did a little bit of it, not too much, mm-hmm. So, you learn the brush stroke. And although, from an outsider point of view, if you are looking, if you're watching a calligrapher uh, draw the character, it seems very free, but it's not because you, as a calligrapher, you've been repeating those strokes again and again and again until it becomes your muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So, it's like sports, really. Yeah. For me, I've practiced calligraphy for so long. That it's imprinted in my in my muscles mm-hmm. and in my
0: arms and in my brain, so those calligraphic marks are coming through my paintings. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I think that's what's incredible about your work because you you you've come from this very Eastern way of of, of mark making, so you didn't go to a traditional sort of Life study class in the u k and learn drawing and observation in in a very western western style so you 're fusing your 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 roots really and how important is that cultural kind of multicultural approach to your practice
1: well, I think it 's an essential part really of my practice because um, my ast- artistic journey really started in Japan as a young adult, um, although as a child, I visited museum and stuff but I don't know what I took from it, mm-hmm. but I, was re- I became really, really interested when I, be- when I arrived in Japan. So for me, it was really my first emotional um, engagement with art yeah. was Eastern art. Mm. Um, then, of course, I'm, I'm not Asian, so my roots are in Western culture. Mm. And I'm now trying to more and more... Um, fuse the two together. Mm. My love of Asian format,
0: brush marking, uh, mark making and the western component of art really yeah yeah and we've had many many conversations on creativity and artistic disciplines and both of us aside from a a love of fine art also have a deep love of textiles for for example we've talked about this a lot and I love that you have every time I talk to you you, you've just you've always got another creative pursuit we just were talking about a sculpture and uh, burning wood and such like a a few minutes ago and um, I love how you, you have this ability to almost swim in a pool of aesthetics and techniques, but how do you edit them down into your practice and how do you not let it kind of overwhelm you?
1: Oh yes, this is very overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like a little butterfly, you know, jumping from technique to technique, crafts, art, whatever I fancy on that day. Um but I think at the end of the of the journey, um, the aesthetic is the same yeah so what i find interesting in textile in sculpture in installation in video art um, are the same component that i find in my paintings and with uh, the art i like so but yeah i agree with you it's it can be self-destroying and Mm. i need to refocus myself really from
0: time to time you must have a strong personal discipline oh well you know I, I go through phases yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> so, okay so so this exhibition um is uh it, it's kind of a, a coming together uh uh two two components that you're in your work that you're you're very interested in so how do you think um the uh how it reflects you as an artist um so we've got the 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 very contrasting elements we've got the the sakura cherry blossom paintings which are these incredible vibrant pink blossom and honestly driving here you know there's blossom everywhere it Mm -hmm. is the color of the moment and then you've got obviously blue the color of the planet you know um and it's just in that rich intensity that ultramarine you know you just want to dive into it it's just gorgeous um, and sitting in your studio here, we actually have both of that right with us. So um, so t- tell us a bit more.
1: <laughs> well, I think um, in all my art, beyond the, the visual representation and the obvious literal uh, images are concepts or ideas or issues, contemporary issues that I want to address. Mm-hmm. And I think even though in terms of colours and formal um, representation, the two are yeah, you could say opposite to each other. Mm. They meet in the sense of um, the philosophical concept behind resilience. Yeah. So And the need to change. Mm-hmm. So the blue series address the change and what we need to be changing as human beings to protect our planet. And of course, this natural element translates as well into the cherry blossom series. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know if you know, but cherry blossoms is... Um, V- veneered in japan it's something that is uh, really cherished and everybody's looking forward to it but yeah. it has also a philosophical um component to it mm-hmm. in terms of showing the resilience
0: of nature yeah yeah and also the transience as well because absolutely obviously when the the blossom is fleeting mm-hmm. and so if you don't make the most of it it's gone <laughs> oh
1: yeah. The, yeah i mean um uh, we, so we call the cherry blossom Sakura in Japanese, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, there's a tradition when people are gathering under the Sakura trees, and we call it Hanami, which is, uh, loosely translate, can be translated as watching the blossom. Mm-hmm. And it's such a short period of time where you can enjoy it uh, that it's also um, a metaphor for the transience mm-hmm. of life mm-hmm. and everything else yeah. in the world
0: yeah and how important is color to you and um, does it lead or inform your painting process I know from Japanese culture because I've you know you know I'm a bit of a textile yes. geek <laughs> and I've read a, a bit about the historical um, elements of kimono and how you know ancient kimono they used to be layered and each color um, each season had its set of colors and depending on high up, how high up you are in the court there are layers of kimono that you're supposed to wear to make these blends and there were certain courtiers who were incredibly good at putting the colors together so tell tell me how important is color i mean honestly i could geek out on the <laughs> kimono thing for ages
1: <laughs> yes i should i should let you do the podcast really what can i add to that <laughs> you already <on. laughs> um but no yeah um Color is important, Um, although, as we mentioned, I'm coming from calligraphy where we work in black and white, black and white paper. So, I think for me, um, switching to painting was a rediscovering of Mm colors because obviously, colors are all around us. They are powerful tools to convey emotions, feelings, and senses. They also have their own meanings in different cultures Mm. so for example uh, red is not the same meaning in China or in western culture so
0: red is joyful in China the aesthetic quality I mean it's so intense and it's so gorgeous and pleasing the colors are so rich and saturated and we talked about the surface it's incredibly alluring but your work really deals with some quite difficult issues concerning the environment and our relationship with the environment and it's kind of what attracted me to to your practice um so how do you kind of reconcile your need to create something beautiful but also communicate your message
1: oh thank you for those kind words i don't know <laughs> i don't know what to comment on then because this is not something i do uh, consciously I, I don't aim to reconcile the two mm-hmm. you know i just I suppose I just paint. Uh, I use what I learned the material, the techniques, the format of it. But um, I've always wanted to initiate a discussion on contemporary issues. Mm-hmm. So,
0: uh,
1: so it kind of comes from the heart. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's
0: intrinsically part of what you're interested in as a whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. probably um, if you attract people with something that is aesthetic pleasing they might be more uh, willing to engage in the conversation I don't mm. know it's yeah, something yeah. that's it's a good opener isn't it well yeah true yeah. but um, you're right it, it can be really misleading I mm. mean I remember my friend at, a, at, an, expo- at an exhibition um, she saw my blue painting and I said oh that's wonderful color this is very positive it's very joyful and then she was very disappointed when i explained what it was all mm. about yeah yeah <laughs> it was a bit of a downer for her really yeah mm.
0: yeah so uh yeah but also i think you it is the important part of the invested sorry the message about the environment is that you know, we can get transfixed by its monumental beauty. And and, and also part of that should galvanise us to protect it. Yes, absolutely. And
1: I think if you look around you, colours are very important of your everyday life. So, uh, of course, I was always going to use colour in my mm, paintings.
0: Yeah.
1: As a calligraphy background, I always loose black exclusively so for me it's um, it's a, a sort of a need to mm-hmm. get colors into yeah. paintings you yeah. know so i like the depth the texture when i apply the colors so i apply them in many many layers mm-hmm. so maybe you can say that gives the saturation and the yeah. richness of, mm. the, of the surface yes i don't know
0: mm. i mean and this is a difficult question oh dear. <laughs> i know it is really hard but do you consider the impacts that making your work has on the environment? It's a question, even as a gallerist, I I, I sort of think about quite a lot recently. Oh, yes, I do, I do.
1: And uh, the, the more we advance in, uh, in knowledge, the more important it is to think about it. Mm. For example, the making of oil paint is... Uh, a disaster mm. for environment. So I don't know in fifty years if we will continue to paint with oil. Yeah, um, uh, that's a question. Um, some of the pigments I used are highly toxic, and some, like corals, are in decline. So yeah. um, I have to address the problem. Really, mm. I know they are traditional material, and that a lot of artists are using them, but I try not to use them basically. Mm-hmm my practice is not eco-friendly at all actually because i use a lot of water being a water medium also i import all my material from Mm -hmm. japan so a lot of air miles a lot Mm -hmm. of carbon carbon footprint so i try to reduce it for example i order in bulk once every two or three years to try to reduce the impact on the environment but yeah it's a difficult question Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah it's it's one and i think the conversations that are happening now one of the positive things is we're we're all thinking about them, and we're all making small adjustments and some larger mm. adjustments, and hopefully that will create a larger um, impact for everyone.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Um, for example, the uh, the company I'm ordering the pigment uh, um, from, they. Started to develop some synthetic pigment and yeah. uh, some pigment without lead, for example. Mm-hmm. So I'm more and more inclined to use those pigments yeah. instead of a more damaging mm-hmm. material. Really, yeah. Mm. yeah. But you have to find the right balance between being between being eco-conscious
0: and using mm. natural material. I mean, it's mm. yeah, it, it is. It's a, a, it's a difficult thing. It to is do. a really difficult thing, and and I a lot of artists uh, are, are addressing that question. So what do you want people to be able to take away from the exhibition um, when they come to see it? Ah oh,
1: <laughs> Sarah, I'm not sure I want to impose my view on people going to see this exhibition <laughs> really. Um, I suppose I just in- invite them to the journey with me yeah um, So that journey being an awareness of the need to protect the uh, the mm-hmm. oceans yeah um the the awareness of our life as uh, ephemeral really mm-hmm. and yeah. intransience mm-hmm. always I mean you start as a child you finish as a, as an old people if you're lucky yeah. and through every stage of life mm-hmm. you have to find the beauty in it really yes. Yes. um so that's the, a bit of the metaphor with the cherry blossom mm. um I created this, those two those pieces, the blue series, the pink series, if you want to refer mm. to Picasso. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, because I wanted to talk about those concepts, you yeah. know. The need to change our way of life, to preserve the planet, the ephemeral nature of life, and also the resilience from both nature mm. and um, human beings, really. Yeah. But I think everybody will take something out of it, mm. uh, whether it's just, a pleasure to to see the pieces Mm.
0: or a more profound impact i don't know Um. yeah i think it will have a a big impact on people it's um our first formal exhibition after the third uk lockdown and and obviously we're coming out it's a gorgeous spring and i think your work a lot of the themes in your work they really address some of the issues that the human issues we've all been feeling over the last few months that fragility, the, the, you know, the transience of life. And, um, and also, you know, because we've been hanging out a bit more, we've also been noticing the, the natural world a lot more. So that, that beauty has uh, been enriching us an awful lot more.
1: Yeah. Is that serendipity? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know. It is serendipity
0: because, you know, you've been great because obviously with... Uh, all the chaos that's been going on in everyone's lives, and which I won't dwell on. This is this is the third go at having this <laughs> exhibition. <laughs> but, uh, we mentioned just the beauty of life there, and uh, and and in our conversations, private conversations, uh, we talked about creative life in Japan, and uh, you, you mentioned something beautiful about how it had uh, an impact on you.
1: Yeah, I think this the, the what I would take the most from my Japanese experience is the uh, aesthetic of everyday life mm-hmm. huh? from. The simple meal, the presentation, the lunchbox, everything is thought about. That's what you say. Yeah. Um, And presented in a very beautiful way. Yeah. So I think for me, that was the main, the most striking part of being in Japan is um, there's nothing left randomly. Mm, Everything is considered. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And. Because of that, it's quite interesting. I'm going to throw a wild one at you, and like say, if like my art history as a whole. You know, you mentioned Picasso just briefly there. Um, do you have artists in Western art history that you're as inspiration? And also, do you feel that another artist has maybe, perhaps, influenced this body of work, or do you feel it's purely your own voice?
1: Uh,
0: that's an interesting
1: question. Well, of course, there's some art movement that I prefer. Um, completely in love with modern art and abstract Mm -hmm. expressionism. I cannot pronounce it, sorry. That's okay. The thing is, when I used to do jewelry, I knew the market by heart. I knew every single designer. Mm -hmm. I knew what they were doing. I knew all the historical contemporaries. And somehow it impacted my work a bit because I didn't want to be influenced too much by them Mm -hmm. but what was what has been done but everything has been done yeah and it's the same with heart so somehow it could impact the way you approach the work Mm -hmm. Um, it can infill with fear almost you know fear of copying someone else or or doing something that is not innovating enough Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to stay a bit away from it mm-hmm. but i would say yes yeah, so obviously everybody is influenced by, by everything yeah. whether it's the environment or, or the people you talk to some artists so yeah i would say um, i really like uh, helen frankenthaler mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with her wash of oh, all yeah. colors so yes. yeah. that's a huge influence
0: i would say mm. for me uh, i can see that I know we went at different times to the last Venice Biennale. That was yes. that wonderful exhibition. Oh dear, I loved it. <laughs> it was just tremendous, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, a real treat to see such a range of her work across, um, you know, from early paintings to to later paintings.
1: Yeah, and I think being a woman in that time gave mm. uh, gave her the freedom to do it. You know, yes. she was not expected to do the same again and again yeah so she had that uh, availability for her to do Mm. what she wanted yeah Yeah. it was yeah yeah she's my hero (laughs) yeah
0: it was spectacular and we're recording this um actually that's interesting talking about uh, an exhibition um because we're recording just just before all the uk major museums hopefully open in may (laughs) What do you have? Do you have anything booked to go and see? I mean, are you itching to get back out there and see exhibitions?
1: Well, yes, of course I'm itching to get (laughs) get back in the world. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although as an artist, you really live in a vacuum from Mm. time to time. You still need the influence of external world. You know. So I actually have two exhibition booked. Mm -hmm. One is the Banksy, um, what's it called? The Art of Banksy exhibition. Mm -hmm. And the other one is a Hockney exhibition at the um, Royal Academy in June, so I'm quite looking forward to it. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I'm a sucker for street art. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a graffiti artist. Yeah, I mean, a kind of goofy marks, (laughs) probably
1: or on my wild side that I haven't discovered yet. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit
0: of a rebel in that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> of course, being in Oxford, I will go to the Ashmolean.
0: Yeah. it's pre-Raphaelite. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The
1: drawings, which, yeah, yeah I, I really look forward to it.
0: And also the Anish Kapoor exhibition at the Modern Art of Oxford. Yes, so, that's, that's um, a real treat oh, yes. to look forward to. Yeah. And I know that the pre-Raphaelite at the Ashmolean will be great because when I was a student, I was an intern in Western art in the drawings, prints and Drawings collection. And I've seen some of those drawings. Oh, fantastic. They are amazing. So that's a, yeah, that's a must see. Oh, great. Yeah, definitely going to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Wise Girl podcast. It has been wonderful spending time with Natalie Moisey. You can learn more about her work on the gallery website, wisegirl.com, and see images of all the works talked about in this episode. Change, Transience and Harmony is on at the Sarah Wiseman Gallery, Oxford, from the 8th to the 29th of May. This episode has been sound edited by Bespoken Media. If you've enjoyed listening, I would be so grateful if you could take a moment to rate us and leave a comment as it helps others to discover the Wisegal podcast. Thank you for listening.